for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 110, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Michael Jr. is my guest today, and I'm really excited for you to hear our conversation. He's known as one of today's most gifted comedians. He brings laughter and understanding to audiences all over the world. Michael got his start performing at the legendary Comedy and Magic Club in Hermosa Beach, home of Jay Leno and The Tonight Show. This outstanding performance led to Michael Jr. performing at the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Montreal, where he became the first comedian to ever appear live via satellite on The Tonight Show. It catapulted Michael's career. Michael Jr. tours the country using comedy to inspire audiences to activate their purpose and live a fulfilled life. His impact, delivery, and versatility has landed him on The Tonight Show, The Late Late Show, Oprah, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Comedy Central, TEDx Talks, and a keynote for Fortune 500 companies. On the home front, Michael is happily married. He and his wife are the proud parents of five beautiful children. And parents, as a reminder, don't just download the episode please click subscribe because when you do that, you're joining my parenting revolution and every new episode will automatically show up in your subscribed list. We'd love for you to write us a review on iTunes and let us know what you think of the podcast. Also, we're not only on iTunes, but the Parenting Great Kids podcast is also available in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. So no matter where you get your podcasts, subscribe today and don't miss a single episode. I want you now to listen in on a conversation that I had with Michael Jr. I know you're really going to enjoy it. Well, Michael Jr., thank you for joining me on my show. I'm so excited for you to talk to my audience. I have a fabulous audience. They're parents, grandparents, just people that love kids, and they need to hear what you have to say. So thanks for coming on. Yo, thanks so much for having me. I used to, I don't know if you know, but um, I don't tell a lot of people this. I, I used to be a kid. Are you so, still? Aren't you just sort of a, a bigger, larger I, kid? I, I've been called childish, but but I used to actually be like a kid back in the day. I don't want to brag, but I used to be <laughs> one. So it's so good. You've changed a bunch of stuff because of some of your teachings and understanding. So I appreciate you as a child. Oh, well, thank you. That's just weird, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, yeah, you were a child and I'm hopefully not still one. <laughs> Let's talk about Selfie Dad. Yes. You have this amazing movie coming up. And for those of you, uh, my audience who don't know who Michael Jr. is, he's the funniest man on the earth. And wow. what I love about your humor is you're clean, but you always have a deeper meaning to your jokes that sometimes people don't get. But it's so cool because, you know, there's two levels of comedy that you give. I, does, does comedy come naturally to you? First, let me just say that you described that perfectly because I I literally want people, because laughter opens up a person's heart. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going to open up a heart, I want to make a deposit that's going to make a difference. 
even if they're not completely aware of it in the moment. So you described it probably better than I've ever heard anybody describe it before. And I, because I want people to come to my event, but I just want them to show up for laughter because we can yeah. catch them with the comedy and then keep them with the truth. And yeah, comedy does come naturally, but also I have to really, really work at it. Like if I come up with a premise and I think it's funny, now comes the work where I got to sit down and grind it out and get it ready. But the goal is not just to make people laugh. Like comedy is the vehicle. It has never been a destination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's how I like to get down. One of the lines I've heard you say um, a couple of times is that, you know, y- your goal isn't to make people laugh. It's to give them an opportunity to laugh. That is completely it. Yeah, which, which there's a, a subtle difference there because in my experience watching a lot of comedians, you feel like they're in their own head. And they're not, you're not really there. But when you do comedy, I feel like you're connecting with us. I don't know how wow. you do that. Wow. Let me tell you. So, so I'm actually a little blown away right now, Meg, on the real, because you, the fact that you, like you really, you read people like I read people. Like for you to notice that as an audience member and to be able to articulate it, you must have went to school or something. I'm not sure, <laughs> but I think you probably went to yeah. at yeah. least 11th grade. No, no, for real. That's like super, I'm actually a little choky about this interview right now because mm. nobody's seen that much into it so maybe i need to pull back and not show as much so here's what's happening on stage so um when i'm on stage I'm, i started asking a different question when a comedian gets on stage the question we're always asking is how can i get laughs from people You're right but I, I had a shift take place and i felt like instead of trying to get laughs i was supposed to give people an opportunity to laugh which changes everything it's a subtle change but it literally, because when you have a gift for someone, your job is to simply to present the gift. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how people respond to it even. Your job is really to present the gift. So once that weight was taken off where I'm trying to get something from them, mm-hmm. everything literally changed. So now I've even refined it even more. So if someone sees me on stage, literally while they're laughing, more times than not, I'm asking a question, what can I give to this audience? Mm-hmm. Not, yeah. not just how can I give them an opportunity to laugh. I've done that already at this point. But now I'm like, what can I give to them? Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm listening in between the gaps. And here's the thing. When you listen in between the gaps and you're asking the question, how can I give, you notice different things. So let me just say real quick to your listeners, no matter what you do in life, you're a grandmom, you're a, you're, you're a doctor, an attorney, there's gaps. My question to you is, what are you asking in between the gaps? Mm-hmm. Are you asking, what can I give? Or are you asking, what can I get? And if you don't know the answer to that question, I think you know the answer to that question. Right. Because by default, you're asking, what can I give? Ever since the fruit, like that's what we do. Mm. And and there's so many opportunities. Your listeners right now, they have setups and they have punchlines to deliver. And I just want to be a part of helping people understand and how to navigate those two. So so the setup is pre- is the preparation. Yes. Right. I mean, you, you talk about that. It's like my setup would be all the things that I've done to um, get to where I am today. So you, but you can send your, spend your whole life doing a setup and never, de- never deliver the punchline. Yeah, because your the setup is all those things you receive. You went to college, you got this degree, you got this understanding, you got this, you got that. Your setup is about what you receive, but your punchline is about what it is you're called to deliver based off what it is you've received. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think, well, I got to give something and they just give from the hip. Right. It's okay to give from the hip. It's a game changer when you give from your heart. And just like I, I talk about on stage sometime, as a kid, I used to struggle with my reading. Like I used to really, really struggle with my reading. But now um, I read just fine, but I still have this ability to look at things differently because of that struggle with my reading. I couldn't just read it. I had to figure it out in different ways. 
So it turns out my setback was actually part of my setup so I can deliver the punchline I've been called to deliver. So mm-hmm. it's the same thing for everybody out there. You have some setbacks. You probably went through some marital issues. You probably, uh, your kids want, like there's setbacks that you have, but it's kind of like a bow and arrow or a slingshot. The further you've been set back, the further you can reach. Mm-hmm. You just have to know what you're aiming for so you can hit the target. Right. So when I'm on stage doing comedy, my desire is really to just listen in between the gaps and give the people what it is they really need. Even though they're showing up because they want to laugh, I'm there not to just to deliver laughter, but to also uh, deliver what it is I feel like they need because I'm listening between the gaps. And that's what the movie does, too. I'm really yeah. excited about oh, that. Oh, exactly. I mean, the movie is um, paralleling everything you say. So just one last question before we jump into Selfie Dad. There's a talent that you have. It's probably God's gift that you can stand on a stage of thousands and thousands of people and and see your people, see the audience but how do you know what they need while you're up there alone? Because I know that your comedy is, is it centers around your desire to give people and to meet mm-hmm. a need. How do you do that? So what we're really happening in, is, uh, man, I don't even know. As I mentioned, like, I don't know, I'm probably going to say this way too many times this interview. Your insight on this stuff is just bananas. Like, and I don't say, like, I've been, like, really, like, the fact that you are drilling in this much really says that uh, you're, you're educated. Well, we know that. Probably, probably went to, you went <laughs> yeah. somewhere in school. I don't yeah. know if it was ITT Technical Institute or whatever you went to, but it's uh, <laughs> the, the Vry. Community College. Oh, Let me cool. give you a long answer. Yeah. Kind of an inside joke. <laughs> that's that that's great. That's in Michael's comedy routine, wow, so I is. stole it. Yeah, 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 it is. I should. Okay, so. Um, what's really happening is I've made a change in my comedy where I was doing a show outside of a club in Los Angeles. And normally right before I get on stage, the question I would be asking, whether I knew it or not, was how can I get laughs from these people? And most comedians are all about getting laughs. And they may not be aware of the fact that they're constantly asking this question, but that's the question that they're asking. And if you ask the question, like, how can I get, you're going to get answers on how can I get. So right now, if I said to, if, if you're listeners right now, if I said the color purple, and then again, I said the color purple. Then I said, hey, the purple, purple. And you start looking around your room, you would pick up on things that are actually purple, purple. even though you hadn't noticed them before. Mm-hmm. But you're probably not noticing the other things. So when I was asking the question, how can I get laughs from people? That's all I saw. But I had a shift take place and I felt like I was supposed to ask the question, how can I give people an opportunity to laugh? And that changed everything. So that very night when I got up on stage, it was just different. I just mm-hmm. felt I felt different. It, I, it was hard to explain at the time. But then I leave the club that night. I get off stage and there's all these these people. They want autographs and we're taking pictures. It's the same thing when I left, left this club. Nothing different was about that. But then I look across the street and I saw a homeless guy. Mm. Meg, I had never seen a homeless guy across the street before ever. But that doesn't mean he wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. That just means before the question I was asking is how can I get laughs from people? So I noticed him and I was like, wow. And then only a few days later, this lady was in a different at a different show in an autograph line. And she said, hey, I work at a homeless shelter. Have you ever considered doing comedy for a homeless shelter? Now, listen, I just started asking this question. And now suddenly here this is right here in front of me. And I was like, OK. And she she gives me the address. And it's in Skid Row in Los Angeles. And I go down Skid Row. And I don't know if you've been there before. I hope if so, you were just serving 
<laughs> but don't. I hope you didn't end up. Maybe you're listening right now. Maybe there's hope. Keep <laughs> listening to this show. <laughs> That's right. But Skid Row is like just in a four block radius. There's on a regular basis. There's ten thousand homeless people in a four block radius of Skid Row mm. at any given time. So I get up on stage and I do this comedy show for these people, and it went. It went okay at first, but then I had to remember I'm not there to get laughs. As soon mm-hmm. as I made that shift to wait a minute, I'm here to give them an opportunity to laugh. I could just feel my shoulders drop and the comedy I started to deliver was more connecting. It connected us in a, in a significant way. And from this point on, I understand the question. I need to continue to ask the question, how can I give them an opportunity to laugh? But now what's happened as a result of that is I've actually shortened the question. So when I'm on stage, if anyone ever comes to one of my stand-up comedy shows, in between the gaps, most of the time, I'm asking the question, what can I give to this audience? And it's it's amazing at the answers that you'll get. Like literally, while people are laughing, that's what I'm asking. So an example is, uh, man, I'm giving you I'm giving you this, the, the ingredients right now. Mm-hmm. So an example, I was in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm listening between the gaps. Now at this point of the shoulder, it's a sold out show. There's probably 2,200 people here. Like it's sold out. And I've already established, like we've laughed, we have some fun. It's the same type of stuff I've done on the Tonight Show, Comedy Central, all of the late night TV shows. But in the middle of this, uh, I've already established how comedy works, how first there's a setup and there's a punchline. The setup is when a comedian will make you think in one direction. The punchline is when he changes the direction in a way that you're not expecting. But life is the same way as well. There's a setup and there's a punchline. The setup is about what you have received. Your punchline is about what you're called to deliver. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you, you're you already at f- over five million downloads. Well, that's something you receive. But what you're delivering is what people truly need. So you have all that set up, but you're also using it to deliver. So I explain that to him. And then I'm going ahead and I'm doing the jokes. We're having a great time. And I'm listening in between the gaps. And I'm asking, what can I give to this audience? And I feel like I'm supposed to bring this lady up on stage. Here's the thing, man. I work alone. Yeah. Like, I don't need yeah. to bring, so, like, she don't even look funny. I'm just going to throw that out there. Like, I do <laughs> yeah. jokes by myself, and I see this lady. So I move on. I do another joke, and I feel it again. Bring her up on stage. So I'm like, Ugh. and I look at her, and I notice she's not even looking directly at me. She's deaf. Mm. She's looking at the sign language lady. I don't know sign language. I know the thumbs up and a different one <laughs> yeah. that I don't use anymore that involves mm. the hand as well. But I don't, that's not how I get down. So, <laughs> yeah. so I see this lady, and I'm like, and I say to the sign language lady, I said, hey, could you ask her to come up on stage, please? And uh, she's a she's a white lady, maybe 54 years old. She comes up. She's moving really slow. So I know I have to be delicate with her. The audience has no idea what's going on. But here's the truth. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I was going to say. Like, yeah. I have no idea. So she comes up on stage and through the sign, through the interpreter sign language lady, I said, um, can you ask her what is her biggest need? Mm-hmm. I have never before that, asked that question to someone on stage and I haven't done it since. I said, what is her biggest need? And um, she signs over and signs back and she says, well, she doesn't have any any needs. And I was like, nah, I just felt like, I felt like she did. And I, so I said, could you ask her again? So she signs over and signs back and she says, well, her and her husband haven't been able to go on vacation in over uh, 11 years, not even for a weekend. And they really need some time away. What normally happens, normally we pass a hat around, collect a bunch of money and give it to her. 
but the best punchlines you never see coming. Hmm. And we've all seen that before. In fact, money's not even a punchline. It's the result of you using your setup. Hmm. So I just asked the next question. I was like, why not? And she signed over and signed back. And the lady said to me, she said, well, they have a special needs child and they can't afford a nurse who's qualified in a way where they feel comfortable and they could leave. I was like, okay. So now I turned to my audience. I don't know these people personally. I live in Dallas. We're in Nashville. I turned to the audience and I said, listen, where is the special needs nurse who can deliver their punchline? And the whole room is silent and nobody says anything for a moment because this is we're having like a moment together. We were just laughing at a level nine. Now suddenly we're in this. And then so I said it again. I said, where is the special needs nurse who can deliver their punchline? And you hear a voice come from the top balcony. And this lady says, here I am. Mm. She comes walking down. And we introduce them and they live 30 minutes from each other. And the whole room is done. Mm -hmm. Like we're done. But what really happened? What really happened is I was just simply listening between the gaps. Someone showed up with their setup willing to deliver their punchline and someone else was there willing to deliver it. But what I want your listeners to understand is, is no matter what you do, you could be a grandmother you could be a, a doctor. You could be a, a mechanic. What I want you to understand is you have a setup and you have a punchline deliver. And there's also gaps in whatever you do. My question to you is, what are you asking in between the gaps? Mm. Are you asking, what can I give? Or are you asking, what can I get? And if you don't know the answer to that question, you probably know the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. By default, you're asking, what can I get? So if you could just change that, if you could just change it, it'll change the game. It was a, a mechanic I had a conversation with in the audience in front of everybody. I think this might be on one of my, um, uh, my, I have a podcast I do called Off the Cuff. It may be in one of those episodes, but I'm talking to this mechanic. I'm like, so what do you do? He said, well, I'm a mechanic. I was like, so what does that mean? He said, it means I get paid to fix cars. And then me and him start chopping it up a little bit. By the end of this short conversation, this guy looks at me in the audience and says, you know what? I actually help ensure that people reach their desired destination. Mm. That right there will put your alarm clock out of business. The other will cause you to hit the snooze. Yeah. There may be some people right now listening even who have been hitting the snooze. And if you could just make this tweak to ask, what can I give? It'll change the game. You know, that's what makes you such a brilliant comedian is that you really function on two different levels, but, People people don't know it. You know, I know you and I can watch and I can listen and I can always say, okay, what's what's underneath? What's underneath? What's he really trying to say? Mm-hmm. Let's go on to selfie, dad. You are bad. Yo, I got to say real quick that like that stuff is borderline creepy on how good you are at that. <laughs> Borderline. Just, you borderline just called me borderline creepy on my own <laughs> podcast. Like you can get so deep and see that stuff under the, the stuff under the skin is pretty significant. So I'm confident in saying it because people think that comedy is no, I'm actually called to comedically inspire people to walk in purpose. That's what I'm actually called to do. But to see you navigate the way you do, I am confident with, with all confidence that you are fully lined up what you're called to do just because you're just way too significant at doing this well thank you i but you've changed my perspective because i i live life trying to find the punchline you know what's Mm. the punchline what's the punchline not the setup Mm. in selfie dad you are ben 
and you are the star of the show. Mm-hmm. Had you ever, ever acted before? Yeah, you know, I was actually, I was in Titanic. You were? Yeah. You? yeah. Remember, you remember the black guy in Titanic? <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I don't. There, there wasn't one in Titanic. Yeah, so I'm just <laughs> okay. so, yeah, Maybe at the bottom of the boat. Uh, but there was, yeah, no, was a, oh my I gosh. In I, was yeah. in, uh, I actually was in the movie War Room. Yeah, yeah, I had, yeah, a, yeah. I had a small part in War Room, but this is the first time I got to actually be the lead in the movie and it's really really exciting like i'm i'm pumped in the movie it's a great story mm-hmm. but and then the directors were kind enough to let me just kind of go where i wanted to go meaning we had a script we knew what we wanted to hit but they were sensitive enough to god's voice and even sensitive enough to just say you know what let, let's just let michael do this mm-hmm. part the way he would so for yeah. example the police scene in the movie i never even it, i never looked at that that part of the script, they just let me completely do it off of improv and instinct. So that was really fun. That is, yeah. Well, that's what makes a movie great. I mean, mm-hmm. when you really let people go and use their gift, and you don't try to try to tie their hands. Absolutely. So, so you are middle aged Ben. So they really had to do a lot of makeup work on you, they did. right? It was yeah, hard. to make you look age. so much that's older than crazy. you are. Way older, but the handsomeness still came through somehow. It did. Okay. Yes, it did. And you are, um, you have a family and you need to be famous. And Mm -hmm. at the beginning, are you, you're a talk show host or a, um, no, No, I'm an editor. I'm I'm, I'm like sitting in the editing bay. Okay. Editing stuff and just kind of bored and life is just miserable and nothing's going great and all of that stuff. And then I, then I find out about this, that you can make money on YouTube and I, my character creates this this video because he's funny. He got a good sense of humor. He comes up with jokes like, uh, "Every time I'm around my atheist friends, I sneeze just to see what they're gonna say." Little <laughs> jokes like that, which is yeah. along the line of a joke that me, the comedian, would do. So, um, and then his videos start blowing up, and he starts to get what it is he wants. Yet he's losing track of what it is he really needs. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and then there's some things that kind of happens that help get him in line. But the, my favorite part about the movie really is, uh, oh, I'm going to give you this. So there's a scene in a movie where I go from being Ben for just about five beats or so where I'm actually Michael Jr. Mm. And and I'm going to tell you guys what the scene is. And you when you watch it, hopefully you can, you'll can you see it. But but it's not in this, like you'll just you'll see it. So I'm talking straight to camera. And there's a blue curtain behind me. I got a black shirt and I'm holding a Bible and I'm talking about what the word of God had done for me as a character. But there's a beat in there where you can see my continence kind of change because it's mm-hmm. actually me, Michael Jr. talking because I felt it in that moment because it was so real to me. Mm-hmm. So I broke character, even though they didn't necessarily see that I broke character because that's just how powerful that moment was for me. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if people can kind of notice that. Your people, though, are probably got that same little creepy thing that you got where they can see through stuff. <laughs> they <can> see through <laughs> they're probably, probably going to see it. Like, That's Michael Jr. right there. Okay, he's right gone. There. He's, he's gone. Back. It's been back. back. <laughs> you know, one of the things I love about your comedy is that you're really able to um, stick a stick a, a prod or a, a cattle prod or something into the elephant in the room and just make it sort of lay down and fall apart. Wow. And I've heard a lot of your comedy, and one of the brilliant things that you do is – 
you attack Christians in a very funny way, but you do it in a way that lets us see ourselves for who we are and to ridiculous yes. and to say a lot of the things that we say are really ridiculous. Yeah. And yet we, yeah. yeah and, the, and the, but they divide, you know, we're in, living in such a divided country. We've got Democrats and Republicans and us and them and saved and non-saved and, you know, it, it, but to be able to bring that together um, and say, no, 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 um, you know, you're all sort of dumb <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> you just you say that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like to say to the uh, to the PETA people who may be listening right now, I'm not sticking any cattle prods in, in elephants because that's just wrong. If, if you're from PETA and you're listening right now, I just want to yes. just a metaphor for me not being violent anyway. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I do think it's important. To, so there's a series of jokes that I came up with on stage, specifically uh, called um, Oversaved. And basically what I'm doing with the, these jokes and any other jokes I do when I'm talking about Christians, I'll never make fun of the church, but I will have fun with some creepy things that some Christians do. And listen, if you're listening right now, and, and when I say creepy Christian, if you don't know any creepy Christians, uh, it's you. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> you, yeah. And your friends know one. Your friends know, or your one friend knows, knows you. Anyway, so... Um, I used to talk about people being oversaved and it's true. Like, and some of the examples were like, if you uh, have a dirt devil vacuum cleaner, but you always rebuke it before you turn it on, <laughs> like you're oversaved, like you're doing too much. If, yeah. if you only have sheets on your bed, cause Jesus is your comforter, you are oversaved. So yeah. I started doing those jokes cause they were funny and on stage and it was great, but there was two really significant things that came out of that series of jokes that I would do on stage. One was, Christians would laugh at the strange things that Christians do. And when non-Christians see us laughing at those things, they realize that we think they're ridiculous as well. Mm -hmm. Like there's no reason, like you can't say to a non-Christian, Hey man, we just want you to come to church so we can love on you. What? <laughs> what do you want to do? Right. Yeah. 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 We're going to come. That's the last blood. thing they'll make me feel loved. Uh, right. Yeah. Me in blood. <laughs> I don't think I want to come to your place. <laughs> so, yeah. And then the other real cool thing that came out from the phrase oversave was uh, it gave language to when people wanted to talk about spiritual things. Yeah. So people even today will say stuff like, um, hey, listen, they'll, they'll approach a friend where they have to keep them accountable and say, hey, stuff like, I don't I don't mean to be oversave here, but I feel like when you said this in this way, it wasn't really represented. So it gave language as opposed to a person only sounded creepy. So comedy can be used in culture in some really significant ways. If the heart behind it is to do so, I really believe that can that can take place. So I'm really excited about that. I'm sorry for the pizza people, though. I'm not stabbing no gerbils or whatever Meg said earlier. I'm not and elephants in the room. Yeah. Uh, and that, yeah, elephants in the room. And yeah. I get in the room, though, because doors aren't really doors, doors. Doors are not. <laughs> Parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Michael Jr. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of this conversation. In Selfie Dad, so you mm -hmm. really, you have a profound message mm -hmm. and a message of truth and you wrap it in comedy. Mm -hmm. was, was, is that hard for you to take a serious issue that you find serious and you're very passionate about and then wrap it in comedy or does it feel very natural to you? So it feels super, super natural, um, mainly because comedy is kind of what, like I get it second nature. And I realize that comedy is the vehicle. It is not the destination. 
like it's some seasoning, but it's not necessarily the meat. So I'm really trying to deliver the meal to people and then use comedy as the seasoning because comedy literally opens up a person's heart. Mm-hmm. And long as it's open, then we can make a deposit. Mm-hmm. The other cool thing about Selfie Day, I hope people uh, notice, but we should let them know is this was going to be a theatrical lit release on June 12th, which was going to be really exciting. But instead, because of what's going on with the virus, is we've decided it's going to be a home release on June 19th. Mm-hmm. And everybody gets to see this at home on Father's Day weekend. So this is so cool that you guys can actually sit at home with your and maybe take your dad out to the couch mm-hmm. for a really cool movie. So to get back to your question, I do think it's extremely um, important. But I think I feel like God has given me this talent to be able to negotiate those tough conversations via comedy and laughter. And I mm-hmm. think people will see this in this movie, too, because there is some like I'm, I cry in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like and I didn't and and those cries are actual real tears. And then after we're done with the movie, I found out from a friend that there's a trick that actors do so they could cry. I'm like, do what you tell me. I'm up here all emotional. Yeah. So there's a there's a there's a little bit of a ride that people go on when they see this movie. Well, that's it's really cool because we have a global audience, and my hope is that you who are listening. Um, don't be intimidated to watch you know no matter what your faith is it's just it's just such a really cool movie if you could put the essence of the movie into one sentence what would that be i know i'm really catching you off guard no let me see what would that be i would say oh first let me say the phrase that's a good question because it always gives you time to think about an answer (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's that right. That's a good yeah. question. Yeah. I mean, you can answer it at the end of the show if you want to. No, too. no, no. I'm going to answer right now because okay. I've got improv skills. I think the, the overall line of the movie, if I was going to put it in one sentence, and I didn't get a good grade in English, so it may be a run on sentence, <laughs> is um, no, uh, no matter what it is you want, when you listen and trust God, He will deliver what you need. Yeah. And it may be in a form of comedy and laughter and all that stuff. This movie, I feel like, really delivers because you you'll laugh even though it's not necessarily a comedy, mm-hmm. and you may cry even though it's for sure not a drama. But for certain, I think you're going to learn something when you watch this thing. Well, and Ben learned something. Absolutely. You know, that's really what what it's all about. And I think sort of navigating that is really pretty cool. Ooh, uh, ooh, let me get your audience something else. I haven't said this okay. on any interview. So there's a scene here that um, at the beginning of the movie, the daughter is in Greece. She, she, she announces that she's going to be in the play Greece at school. And then I said a line impromptu that didn't make the movie, but I want this to make sense for your viewers. I said, what? Because I'm black. I don't know if your listeners can tell by looking. <laughs> that makes sense. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Which means my daughter is black. Well, she's kind of black. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, and she's in the play Grease. And I said a line that didn't make the cut where I'm like, why is she in Grease? Should she be in the movie Color Purple? Right. So, <laughs> yeah. But the line that they did leave in was after I leave and I go to the restroom and something goes wrong with the bathroom. It's all I come back and I'm upset because I'm, water splashes all over me. And then I say this line. I say to the um, to my wife, I say all my life I had to fight which is actually a line from the color purple. So it's a, so it's, it's the connection there, there. When you see it, it'll make perfect sense only because you heard it right here on this podcast. Mm-hmm. But for the rest of the world, they're going to be like, wait a minute, what did I miss? And you'll get a little kick out of it as a result of that right there. And then there's one more thing, because I don't know anything about Greece. Ben, the dad doesn't know anything about this play Greece. At the end of the movie, in the hallway, there's something super special that happens. So he's in the hallway with his daughter. It's dark. 
and you'll and there and listen closely because most of the people are going to completely miss this. I put this in here knowing that probably 70 percent of the people would miss it. Mm-hmm. But I think you guys won't. Oh, we'll we'll get it. My audience will get it. Let's talk about Ben as dad. You and I have had a lot of great conversations about the importance of dads and how Absolutely. you know we need to elevate them and lift them up because the our, our culture is just crushing them. Did you intentionally make him look uh, like a dad? Was that a fight for you with the producers? Because you know a lot of shows uh, use dads as the as the, well, the, yeah, the punchline. Like, well, they're right. funny and making fun of dads is gets a lot of laughs. Was that right. hard for you? Yeah, it was really interesting because I, I couldn't. Um, I mean, and the cool part, really interesting part, is Meg. We had this conversation the, uh, several times when we've worked together before, and I didn't realize it actually to dread right now in this interview. I actually literally thought about you on the set of this movie, like mm-hmm. literally, because when it started happening, when people were reaching for those types of jokes or those types of situations, um, I I thought about our conversation. And we'd, we'd already established it's super important that a dad represent and be a dad. He needs to be, he, he doesn't always have to be strong because sometimes being weak is actually being strong. I mean, showing your weaknesses is a sign of strength, but he shouldn't be laughed at or mocked or any of those things. So as a writer or anybody on set, because this movie has a comedic tone to it, everybody thinks, ooh, wouldn't it be funny if... Yeah, that stuff is low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. So I have to keep telling the people we're not doing this. Even the guy, the little boy who plays my son. And at the time, I think he was like maybe eight years old. And it had already been drilled into him that it would be funny if. Yeah, because we've seen that so many times where the dad has looked down on. And there was some stuff. I was, in fact, me and the director started to laugh after a while because we would see it show up instinctively. And then the director would have to redirect him and like, hey, man, that's not what we're going to do, because the father is so important. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, it's unbelievably important. Even in the neighborhood I grew up in, a lot of guys who didn't have a dad in their life, they would drive around with the music pounding in the bass. And then I find out later it's because they didn't have that bass in their, in their life before. So they're craving it, not even knowing it because their dad didn't hold them with his voice and they, they just didn't get that. So now they're craving it. So I think it's extremely important. So if you see me in a film and I'm a dad, I'm going to try to represent dads the best I can. Now, that doesn't mean I'm never laughed at because I'll make a mistake because I do, even at home. Like, my 10-year-old is brilliant at figuring out what I did wrong. (laughs) Yeah. But it shouldn't be on display like that's a normal thing because it's not. I need to be able to lead. So, yeah, and I literally thought about you when we were making – I was like, oh, snap. I should be right here and help these people understand how this thing needs to happen. (laughs) Well, thank you. I should have sent you a bunch of my books, and, yeah, you would have – promoted mm-hmm. them for me but anyway yeah um, yeah not not at all really yeah yeah what <laughs> what is what's your hope what is your hope for selfie dad oh my hope is that uh i make a lot of money exactly that's really the whole yeah thing. that's the yeah. whole thing no no living in the setup yeah so i i really think that my hope is that people will see this film and be moved because when you laugh your heart is open and I think that the deposit that we're going to make in this film is really going to be positive mm-hmm. for the family as a whole. Mm-hmm. So, um, and again, it's not a comedy, but because I'm there and because they gave me the freedoms, we were actually able to put a lot of comedy in there. Yeah. So, it's, and, and that's what I do on stage. Like when I'm doing comedy, I'm, it's really just to open up hearts and then ask the question between the gaps, what can I give? And then to go ahead and see if I could deliver that thing. 
Well, it's a fabulous movie. It's brilliant. It really is very unusual for a faith-based movie. I will say mm-hmm. it sort of doesn't fall into that box of, if mm-hmm. you will, of, of, you know, Christian movies or faith-based yeah. movies. And so, that's really, really refreshing about it. Maybe that's because you're in there <laughs> making yeah. silly well, jokes, making funny jokes. Just in general, I don't like to... Uh I try to be out of like if a, if if a dog has three legs and we've all seen a three legged dog before. If they if the dog runs by ten comedians, most of the comedians are going to talk about the three legged dog. I'm the guy who's going to talk about the leg. Like, where's that other leg at? Like, is there a flea on the leg? Like, hey man, we haven't moved in a while. So I'd rather try to go in a different direction. In fact, um, we as you as you know, we have a, a nonprofit called Red Blueprint. Dot org where we go to prisons and homeless shelters and abused children facilities and take comedy there. And the reason I can do that is because, again, I stopped asking the question, how can I get laughs from people? And I started asking the question, how can I give people an opportunity to laugh? So we'll, we'll do what I said and go to homeless shelters. But there's one story in particular that I should share with you where we were at an abused children's facility. I don't know if you remember this little boy or not, but I'm at his children's facility and these kids are uh, like, it's tough. I hear some of the stories first and and we're doing a show for them and their caregivers and, and his grandmother showing us about her grandson who is so afraid of his mom everywhere he goes, he wears a Spider-Man costume. And one of the things his mom had been doing is she was pulling out his toenails, which is, you know, really. So I get there to do the show and there's all these kids and this little boy on his grandmother's lap, like five years old, and he's got on a Spider-Man costume. And I started doing jokes. Now, if I was asking the question, how can I get laughs? There's no way I would have been able to do the show. Mm-mm. I guess it's no. impossible. But because my question was, how can I give an opportunity to laugh? I'm called to do this show. This is what I should be doing. So I get on stage, I'm doing comedy. And and then uh, I had a sense that the first thing I should do, because people are laughing, but the little boy's not. Mm-hmm. And I actually gave him a gift. I gave him one of my, I wrote a children's book called The Parts We Play, and I gave it to him. He ran up on stage real fast, and then he grabbed a book, and he ran back down to his grandmother's lap. This was after we'd all warmed up a little bit with comedy. Well, then I move on and start doing more comedy. And about maybe 20 minutes into the show, I hear a voice and a voice says, my name is Ronan. And this little boy pulls off his mask and introduces himself to me. Mm. And I am blown away. He pulls off his mask and, and then we start talking. By the end of it, me and Ronan are on stage like breakdancing together. There's a video on, on YouTube or Facebook. If you put in Michael Jr. Punchliner, uh, you'll see it. You'll actually see this whole interaction take place with this little boy. And what you may not know, since I've talked to you last, is I got a letter from his grandmother, just a random letter recently that said, Michael, I just want you to know that since that day, Ronan never put his mask on again. Mm. Now, he had this mask on before to kind of protect him. But I showed up with my gift. And I'm not saying that like my gift is amazing. But I didn't show up with some money. It's great when you give from the hip. It's a game changer when you give from the heart. When you deliver your punchline, as you are in this uh, podcast right now, Meg, you're, you're literally using your setup of all of these millions of downloads to deliver to someone else. When you do that, the effect is profound and you can't even measure what what's happening. Mm. But it is good. So for that to happen under those circumstances, and if I was only looking to get laughs again, there's no way that would have happened. Yeah. People can feel when you're trying to take, but they can receive when you're trying to give. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's the difference between you and um, other comedians, even very famous comedians. You feel that they want you to do something for them, 
but listening to you, you're engaging the audience. You know, they work sort of like they're locked in their own head thinking, okay, mm-hmm. what's my next line? What's my next line? Like, we're not even there. Mm-hmm. But to be able, I, I think that's the difference between the setup and the punchline. You you live the punchline and, and you mm-hmm. live sort of out there giving to people because it's a rare comedian that can make you laugh so hard and then cry so hard, like with the little spider-man boy i I remember you telling me that years ago and i just can't get it out of my head but what a joy that you could come and give that to him Mm. um my guest is michael jr the funniest (laughs) man on the planet so if you've never uh listened to his comedy you need to check him out how can people uh find out about selfie dad and when it comes out so they can so so it actually comes out uh at at your house which is awesome it was going to be in theaters but it's coming to your house on june the 19th you can sit back that's father's day weekend and enjoy it on video on demand we want a bunch of people we want everybody to check it out because i really think it could make a difference like in a really significant way so also if you want to go to michaeljr.com or selfie dad movie.com you can learn about the movie and see the trailer and some really really cool cool things. And that's just going to be great. I just really want people to enjoy this because I don't think these ingredients haven't been put together before where it's Bible, where it's God's word, some comedy, uh, some humorous thing, and then a really great story. I haven't really seen them come together before and work. And I'm excited when I watch this, I really feel like it works. Mm-hmm. Like literally. And I'm not saying that just because I'm in it and I'm all handsome and stuff. I'm just saying it just because, you know, yeah. it's kind of true. <laughs> But it's your heart. Absolutely. And I think whenever an actor, you know, delivers their heart and, and they love it, I mean, it always comes through. Michael Jr., thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. You are completely awesome, man. It is so good to see you smile. Like, I haven't seen you in so long. I am so, this is a blast. And you're really good at this, too. Like, you're really good at it. <laughs> good at, you know, I'd say we, we did a couple shows together, but I can't be up there because I'm not funny. I mean, you're very funny. I'm very, I'm, I'm very serious but you're bringing it like for real like you're 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 reading in between people and and bringing the news in a significant way and i so appreciate it well thank you i want to thank my guest michael jr for joining me on the show today to find out more about michael jr you can go to michaeljr.com there you can find out more about his new movie selfie dad once again that's michaeljr.com You can also follow Michael on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just type in Michael Jr. in your internet browser. So until next time, parents, always remember, great kids are raised, not born. Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. Thanks for listening. And because of your dedication to raising great kids, Dr. Meg's Parenting Revolution has grown to over 3 million downloads. Head on over to Facebook and Twitter and follow at Meg Meeker MD and check out what's new at MegMeeker.com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter to stay updated and get information about giveaways. Don't forget to share the podcast with other parents. Subscribe so you won't miss anything and leave us a review so we know how we're doing. 